Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're continuing our series, and I would just like to ask uh, God to open our hearts to His Word today. We pray with me, Heavenly Father, uh, open us up to what you would want to speak into our lives. Lord, may truly your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and on this earth just as it is in heaven. And for that, we will say thank you, Jesus. Amen. So uh, continue our series called Gospel Eyes. And the interesting thing about the section that we're looking at is Paul actually answers one question about division in the church with three chapters. Right, so we talked about it last week. I'm going to take a little different slant to it this week because I think there's so much here. Years ago, uh, when I lived in Pittsburgh, I went to Toastmasters. Anybody ever heard of Toastmasters? One, two, three, four. Yeah, Toastmasters is kind of a cool organization. It helps you with your leadership, with public speaking. You have a, kind of a curriculum you go through. And I didn't stay long enough to actually get much out of it, but me and a buddy did it for like three or four months. And um, it, it looked like a great uh, group, a great program that we were a part of in uh, Pittsburgh. But one thing I do remember is a speech one guy gave. And this guy stood up, not this girl, this is from their website, but this guy stood up and he gave a speech on the right to bear arms. And man, it was moving, right? You're, you're, like you're starting to get convinced about the Second Amendment. And, uh, and as he's being so convincing, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, if they put the gospel in their mouth... Man, if these people had the gospel, it would be so convincing, wouldn't it? Then at the end of his speech, the guy takes his suit and he rips off the sleeves. And he wasn't talking about the Second Amendment. He was talking about bare arms. And, you know, it was part of the thing and part of his Toastmaster speech and everything, and it was humorous. um, But I, I couldn't help but think if this person had the gospel, man, could they persuade people, right? You know, they could, they could move an audience to tears and to laughter, you know, and all this stuff. But then you read the beginning of 2 Corinthians where the apostle Paul is dealing with people who had seen Paul preach, and then they got Apollos, who reputation, church history says the guy was a good orator. He was a good speaker. And then you got Peter, not sure exactly how well, and some may have seen Christ preach too. And, and there's this division there in the church. And, and Paul is making his point that it's not in the gifts of man, but it's in the gift of the gospel. Look, look what he says. He says, when I came to you, brothers... Sisters, too, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So why your faith might not rest 
on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Is that not beautiful? He's like, I decided to empty my quiver of air. He goes, I, I took the best stone, so to speak, to throw, but not all the stuff. It's like Gideon and his army, where God said, Gideon, your army's too big. Reduce it. Because if your army's so big, people might think that it was you who did it. And I want them to know it was me. You know, I, I think the message for us is embrace our weakness. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody and you think, oh, what if they ask me a question I can't answer, right? Or, here's another one, you're unworthy. You know, you can share once you hit this level of sanctification, right? You know, yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is the message isn't about us. It's about Jesus. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ crucified and ourselves servants for his sake. Sharing our faith can be scary, but I think it's scary because we need to be comfortable in our own skin. Do you ever thought of reverse hypocrisy? If you act like you're not a Christian because you're afraid of sharing the gospel, it's like now you're a reverse hypocrite. You're acting like somebody you're not. <laughs> Do you see that? Maybe I've lost you there. Um, you know what's helpful for me? How many know the story of Balaam and his donkey? Right? You got Balaam. He's this prophet. The children of Israel, they've crossed the Red Sea. Now they're in their wandering time. One of the kings wants to kill them and attack them and win. And they know that Balaam is a guy who speaks for God. And the king comes to Balaam and says, curse the Israelites. If you curse them, I think I can beat them. God listens to you, Balaam. So Balaam takes his money, goes to curse, and blessings only come out of his mouth. So they, he's like, I want you to try again. So Balaam goes, gets the money, you know, and uh, on his way to curse them, uh, his donkey stops moving. Now this is, you know, if you heard me when I was praying, I, I started saying there's a spiritual realm that we don't see. There's angels, there's demons. Well, in this situation, God sent an angel with a flaming sword. You got a flaming angel here. And he's going to kill Balaam. Balaam doesn't see him. All he knows is this darn donkey stopped moving. You know why? The donkey sees him. Do you ever wonder if your cat can see? One thing interesting I heard a preacher point out recently, that when God decided to compare Satan to an animal... He picked someone from the cat family, by the way. Um, a lion. Okay, sorry, cat lovers. Um, so here's Balaam. His donkey's not moving. Balaam's beating the donkey. And what does the donkey do? Speaks up, right? The donkey, God gives the donkey a voice. I know, there are crazy stories in the Bible, and this is one. The donkey starts talking to Balaam. Like, dude, stop beating me. I was saving your life. That's a paraphrase. And the donkey saved his life. I've always liked this truth. If God can use Balaam's donkey, there might be another name for donkey you want to bring to mind. He can use you, and he can use me. Like in the Gospels, this simple message, and sometimes we make it so difficult, it's okay to go, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but what do I do know? I know that Jesus is the one who loves me so much. He died for me. 
and I was so sinful he had to die. So uh, I think sometimes I've read this before, and he goes, listen, I, I had just a simple gospel message, but look, I had demonstration of the spirit and power. And sometimes I, I think we might go, well, wait a minute. He had all this demonstration of spirit and power, right? And where's, where is that? You know, I don't have that. I'm not laying hands on the sick. You know, I'm not doing all these kind of things. That's what he had. That's what this is about. I'm not that. And I'm not denying that Paul, there weren't miracles with Paul. But it's interesting, when Paul talks about power in chapter 1, he always connects it to the gospel. He's like, the gospel is the power. In Romans, he says, the gospel is the power of salvation. You know, he's not uh, talking about that. I mean, I, I, I think sometimes we think, oh, if I could only do these big miracles, people would believe. But you know what the reality is? Jesus is doing miracles, and they still crucified him. Remember the one where he heals the 10 leper? One guy comes back to say thank you. You know, I... I think the power is the gospel message to get inside of our hearts and give us new life in Christ. I mean, we may have physical healings and other miracles that happen, but the simple gospel message, when it seats in somebody's heart, it changes his life. One guy asked him about a story. He goes, I'm in church on Christmas Eve. Yep, I'm a Christmas Easter Christian, and something happens in my heart. That was it. The gospel got through. Right? And, and, and this is what you and I have. God can use us on this earth. And, and he goes on, and he says, okay, so to st we have this simple message. I came to you in weakness. He said, but it's not that it's not wise. He says, but among the, it's interesting, the Greek word here is perfect. But among the perfect, the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Years ago, I met this guy, and he used to go to the rec center when I would go to the rec center. I used to run. Nobody was chasing me, and I would run at the rec center. And um, this guy would be reading these books. And you ever heard of, like, giving the Bible numbers and the numbers, like, every... Like, he was all into, like... The Bible has a special code in it, and it's saying all that. And, you know, I, I sat down with him. He was like a committed believer, but he was, he was going up this rabbit trail, like there's hidden wisdom in the Bible. And if every letter gets a number, and then you put these numbers, you know, it's like the Bible code. And, and I'm like, you know, I think you're majoring in something that's, like, got you way off. Look, look at this. What is the hidden wisdom? The death and resurrection of Jesus. He's like, all these wise people missed it. Jesus comes to earth, all the wise people misses him. Right? It's not that hidden code of numbers and numerology in the Bible. It's not Kabbalah. It's, it's God had a plan throughout the ages was that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins that we might share in his glory. And this is deep wisdom. And this is what I try to apply every week to my heart and your heart every day. Like, what is it about the gospel that actually does something for us? I saw this little video uh, this week, and it actually reminded me of the gospel, right? The gospel is, he paid a debt I couldn't pay. 
I owed, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He, he paid a debt I couldn't pay. And God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And sometimes when I look at my life and I look at my relationship with Christ, it's like I'm trying to grow in Christ, but God is actually doing so much. Like he's the prime mover behind this. I am this man in my sanctification with Christ. This is my spiritual growth. God is taking me where he wants me to be. Did you see that? I'm going to want one more time. God is taking me where he wants me to be. But I'm stumbling, I'm falling, I'm laying there, and he's still taking me. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. This is the hidden wisdom, wisdom that the cross and the gospel is sufficient for your and my salvation and sanctification. You know what else I think is hidden wisdom in this? Do you ever um, look at your life and you are walking through a very, 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 very difficult situation? I mean, I can imagine the apostles who were around Mary looking at her son at the cross and hearing Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, the man who turned water to wine, the man who had God speak at his baptism. I mean, being forsaken. And they are looking and saying, what good could come of this? What good could come of this? And I think the cross speaks to those times in our lives where we have real tragedy, real difficulty. And this is why James could say, count it pure joy, brothers. Because on the other side of the cross, we're like, wow, if you hadn't done it, there'd be no hope for me. And we can let the cross speak into our lives. This is a guy who mentored me uh, years ago. He said, Doug, I believe God has a call on your life, and I pray when he brings it to pass, you'll never doubt it. But I don't often tell this story about him. I remember uh, Gretchen and I were... In our first year of marriage, and I'd wanted to go on to seminary, I had applied at seminaries, I had been accepted at at seminaries, and uh, we're sitting at a light, we're praying about trying to decide, you know, where to move. Uh, Gretchen was graduating from college, and I look over at her, and there are tears in her eyes, and she says, I I don't want to move. And I'm thinking, but there's no seminary that I want to go to in our town. And, you know, what do you do? You're a new husband. How do you lead your wife? Do you, are you the caveman? Just grab her by the hair and go, right? Is that the way? So I go to my pastor. He was my pastor at the time. And I say, hey, here's our situation. And you know what he says to me? He says, you know, ministry's tough. Ministry's tough. I think he said, I've written my letter of resignation many times. And he said, uh, unless you guys are fully united, don't go. Unless you're both like this is God's will. You know what I thought? Dude, you are the devil. This is my dream. How dare you step on my dream? How dare, how dare you ask me to, to die to myself and put my wife first? You know, I'm a religion major. That in the buck will get me a cup of coffee, right? People don't advertise for that in the, in the places on the internet where they're looking. I mean, they just don't, you know. And, and I thought, this guy, it can't be of God. And I start searching the scriptures, and I come to Ephesians, and it's like, husbands, love your, wife, your wives as Christ loves the church. 
and he gave himself up for her. I'm like, what? Put her ahead of you? Rip that out of the Bible, you know? Like I, and all this kind of my life for yours kind of stuff. But I walked it. And, and, and I look back, and when it was time to move, Gretchen was all for it, you know? And I look back on those years of waiting, and so much of who I am and the ministry and how I speak comes out of that waiting. And you stand at the cross and you go, what good could this be? And the wisdom of the cross is God is at work in the things that we don't get, in the perplexities of life. They're painful now, but he's at work in the midst of them. I think one other hidden wisdom, and there's many of them, of the cross, um, is seen in this, this sacrificial system that was set up. I mean, they, they mirrored the substitutionary atonement of Christ all through the sacrificial system, right? They'd put their hands on the lamb or the ram, confess their sins. That ram would be sacrificed. Another might be let go free, you know, and, and there was this whole picture. And yet sometimes when atheists and Christians are debating, I, I listen to a podcast called Unbelievable, and they have these debates between atheists and Christians, and they're, they're kind of fascinating. The Christians don't always win, you know, and, and it always depends probably if you're a Christian or an atheist who you think wins. But uh, they're, they're fascinating debates. And I remember in one debate, I think it was this one, the guy goes, and what's this with God? saying, I smell the aroma. Why? What kind of God likes meat, right? How, what kind of crazy God says that the aroma of the meat, is a ple- the sacrificial meat burning, is a pleasant scent to me? I remember the guy said, well, you know, there are butcher shops killing animals today, aren't there? He goes, what was wrong with God tying theological meaning to how the world works. And the guy was like, let's move on to another topic. You know, like, right, you know. But you know what has always struck me? When you smell, you go, do you ever walk into a house and go, this smells like grandma's house? We had this one room that was shut for a while. I opened it. I'm like, smells like grandma's house. I better do something about that. Um, you know, like this, or you bake bread and maybe you remember like somebody baking bread and Man, it just brings back the memories, doesn't it? Smells remind you of something that took place before. There's like a past memory. We smell backwards. You know what I think God smells? Forwards. I think in the Old Testament, God smelled forward. This sacrifice reminds me of the sacrifice of my son for the sins of the world. That is a sweet and pleasant offering crucified before the foundations of the world. I was at a wedding, Daniel's wedding, and uh, Daniel and Riley got married. It was a beautiful wedding, but we got to sit with Mark Ryan and Cade and some other friends, and, uh, and it was great. It was great fellowshipping, and, and as I was there, I remembered being at Mark Ryan's wedding. This is a number of years ago. And I had the opportunity to actually uh, introduce Mark and Kate, like he and his wife, one of the few times you introduce somebody and they actually get married. And uh, at the wedding, I'm standing here. Mark's dad is giving a toast, and I'm doing what pastors always do at weddings if they go to the reception, praying in a minute, right after the toast. 
So here I am, kind of against the wall, glass of champagne, and I'm next to a server. And we start kind of chatting, uh, even though the dad's doing the toast. And uh, she goes, so you're a pastor? And I said, yes. And she goes, um, and you're drinking wine? And I said, champagne. And uh, she goes, you're going to hell. And you, you know, when somebody like offends you, does your heart start beating fast, right? The adrenaline kicks in, and I am starting to get angry inside, like, what the heck? And I go, didn't Jesus turn water to wine at a wedding? You know, like, <laughs> and she's quiet, so I came at her again. I thought unbelief was the thing that damned, not champagne, right? And then she says to me, um, I've seen a lot of priests get drunk at these things. And then I say to her, I'm sorry that I, you, I remind you of all the people who get drunk because I'm participating in this toast. These, these people who get drunk, they're zits on the face of the body of Christ. <laughs> and that's what I said to her, I'm just telling you. And, and meaning that they're an embarrassment, right? Like, like they shouldn't be getting drunk there. But my champagne standing there triggered her, right? Went right to hell. You, you know. And, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus, God the Father has triggers too. And, and I think when, when we're broken and contrite, Gretchen read that this morning in Psalm 34, I think it triggers him. When we're like, Lord, I stink. I failed I am a sinner. I think he's triggered to go, no, you don't stink. What I smell is the fragrant aroma of the death of my son. You smell beautiful to me. Jesus has, has made you beautiful, and all you need is what you got right now, brokenness and contriteness. I think our brokenness and contriteness, our humility triggers him. When we think I stink, he's, no, you don't. I love you. Well, the last bit is um, how it gets into our heart, how we get wisdom into us. And he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, these things God has revealed to us through his spirit. See, I believe God wants us to walk in wisdom, and I believe it's in Scripture, but, he, but the Scripture's just words on a page without the Spirit enlivening us, right? The, and the Spirit, the Gospel, like it's all this kind of connection point. And, and many times, you know what the wisdom looks like for me? It looks like my life for yours. Recently, I had a situation, and and um, I, it's in my neighborhood. It's a difficult situation. I'm not going to go into the details, but I'm going to, to my sinful details. I, I felt like, uh, it, and I was told by somebody else, it would be helpful if you didn't walk on the sidewalk in front of this person's house. And you know, there's something inside of me that says, you can't tell me. You, you can't. The, what is the sidewalk? Public, isn't it? You can't tell me to not walk on the side. That is my right. I actually said that to an official. And um, that's, that's my right. And it is my right. And then this other wisdom jumps into my heart. Will you give up your right? Will you surrender your right for the sake of peace? 
it doesn't feel good. Even that little bit feels a little bit like dying, right? And, and, and that's how wisdom works. That's how the Spirit works in our lives. I want to end with a kind of a longer quote from C.S. Lewis about how to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it's far easier than what we're really trying to do instead. So he says, you know, handing over your wishes to Christ is easier than what we're trying to do most of the time. What is it we're trying to do? He says, for what we're trying to do is to remain what we to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you couldn't do. As he said, a thistle can't produce figs. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seeds, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must plow up and re-sow. That's why the real problem of the Christian life comes when people don't usually look for it. It comes the moment you wake each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of each day is shoving them all back, just listening to the other voice, taking the other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussing and fretting and coming out into the wind. We can only do it for moments at first, but from those moments, a new sort of life will be spreading throughout the whole system because now we're letting him work at the right parts of us. You know, there's this wisdom that keeps us from that worldliness that he talks about in chapter 1. But it takes this um, time with Jesus, time for the Spirit to move, time for us to let go, and, and time for us to let go of our own way, which is your life for mine, and to take on the my life for yours cross way of wisdom. Will you pray with me, Lord? I stand in the midst of a group of people of Community of Hope, whether they're watching online or here, and we want to be the people who hear you and hear your voice, who um, let go of the things we're trying to hold on to because they're not working. And if they work, they only work for earth and they don't work for eternity. And we want our lives to count. So I pray for each person that we could fellowship with you. That that new wisdom would, uh, the cross wisdom, would invade us. Jesus, I ask this in your name. And everybody who agreed with this prayer here and online said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.